1: Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And we have a friend calling in from Los Angeles. And he is a former athlete, played for the Dallas Cowboys and a few NFL teams. And he's got a book out called Aggressively Human. And his name is Steve Wright. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you doing today?
2: Thank you, John. Doing wonderful. Living in Malibu, sun shining. Life is good. I'm healthy. And blessed to be on your show.
1: Well, when you... Hear the word aggressively human, I mean, that speaks a lot to, you know, what we do in life and, you know, what what resonates with you and, and why did you write that book? For when the pandemic and the
2: lockdown, I've been toying with it for at least a decade, just jotting little stories down and just I've had a really interesting life just through my football and business career and what I believe is, is karma, putting good things out, and good things come back to you. But then there was really my wife that saw the animal spirit of a golden retriever in me—a guy with a big heart, but also able to turn it on into a pit bull if needed. And that's was the that was the the switch I always had to make. in, in football, you go into the locker room and start putting your pit bull on, and then come out of the locker room after a game, and you know, you've been amped for three hours, and now you have to go out and hold kids and talk to microphones and it's a crazy mix. And I was fortunate enough to be able to shut it off and not take it the anger and the frustrations home and, you know, abuse others outside of, of football. And so it was just the kind of the yin and the yang we all have in us and it's how to balance it. The tough guy, the within the kind heart, kind of in a nutshell.
1: When you think about your career in the NFL and before you got to the NFL what was your anticipation before you went into the NFL, and how did those thoughts change when you got in and understood what it was and understood how you had to perform? What Was there a, a thought process change there and, and transition that you didn't expect?
2: Nothing I didn't expect. I really kind of led my life on not trying to expect out too far. It's really, I don't know how, how I learned this, but really staying in the moment. And it kind of started in high school. when well, it's game time, you know, and the bands playing, the cheerleaders, the crowds out there, and run right out there you kinda of have to get your alter ego going and then it increases and then you get into college and then by the time you make it into the NFL and you're running out into a stadium of seventy five thousand people playing against future Hall of Famers, you gotta get in a pretty weird place mentally. And it's uh that became very difficult to do through It was actually 13 years, I played a little bit in the USFL as well, but my mind got more tired than my my body. The team was moving in 1994 up to Oakland, and I was just finishing my 11th year in the NFL, and I had an opportunity to do something else, and I was so ready to cut loose, I was just beat up from trying to just get into a weird place, you know, turn into an axe murderer for three hours. And so it it, kind of came kind of naturally and there wasn't anything I really tried to anticipate or how am I going to do this? It just, that's what you got to do at that point in time. So was it like a
1: different character when you show up for work, you go into character? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd I'd get there, just from the Raiders here, I'd I'd get there five hours before the game would start and the linemen would go out and we'd go through our plays and audibles and go back in the locker room. I'd put on my headset and, Listen to Metallica, which I never listened to, but it's just violent. And then start taping my knuckles together so they're not going to come out when I'm grabbing or punching or something else. And pounding coffee and just sitting there, the sweat would start dripping off my chin. And just trying to think of the most hateful things you could possibly think of, making up scenarios in your head, and just so focused on this guy I'm going to be playing against. I've watched film of him all week, taken it home, slept with it, watched it all the time. Yeah, so it's uh, you got to get really crazy. Mike Dicker, one of, my, one of my great mentors, grabbed me when I was a rookie with Dallas. He was my uh, special teams coach, and he could see I was getting frustrated. And he'd always take me for walks. and He'd throw his arm around me and say, you know, hey, I see how frustrated you're getting. Everybody here who has got the physical tools. This is what's going to separate you. You're going to get your ass kicked. Figure it out fast. You're going to, you know, get beat. They're getting paid too. So figure it out and just win more than they do. But you've got to get your head together and you can't let it get away from you as well. that be so angry and pissed off. I grab someone and start fighting and get thrown out and hurt the team. So it's just a really fine balance of
1: being on the edge. When you digest that in your life... I mean, and you said, you know, when you after the game, how how do you manage that mentally? And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that couldn't manage it mentally. Exactly.
2: And I've, I've got quite a bit of it in my book. Just the toughest guy that I've, I've ever played with, with the Dallas Cowboys, he came in one morning with scratches all over his face and he just knew his wife was probably on the other end of, of those scratches. And I'd see it with guys that I never even knew, drank alcohol flip their car because they were drunk, and die. Other guys blowing their brains out because they were cut. It's a crazy life not being able to balance it. Myself personally grew up in a loving family, thank goodness, with a lot of support, and I was able to... The thing I had to do was raise it up for games. It was pretty easy and natural for me to come back down to a level of what you're seeing now. But turning it on and off, was difficult i'd go out into the parking lot after the games at the coliseum and everybody would come over and talk to you or get an autograph and you're still you're, you're still kind of in a crazy state of mind sweating and so it'd take you a little bit to come down but this is where i prefer to be
1: now where are you from originally
2: I grew up in Minneapolis. I grew yeah. up in the Midwest, went to school in northern Iowa. Family moved around quite a bit, so just learned to make a lot of friends in Saint Louis and I guess we did a little time in Connecticut, Deerfield, Illinois, north of Chicago. But mostly around Minneapolis. In,
1: in your family, what'd mom and dad do?
2: My father, mom was the, the homemaker and my sports sports shuttle. She would feed feed me and love me and pick me up at practice and take me to and run around. My father was a uh, salesman for 30 years with a company called Continental Can Company, canning beer and, and food and everything else. So he was getting transferred quite a bit, get, take the raise and take the move. And so off we go after yeah, a year or two living in one place. So I got used to change. So it was easy for me to go from Dallas. I went to the Baltimore Colts, and got, uh, went with them to Indianapolis, signed a contract with the Oakland Invaders got invited down to play in Los Angeles and been in here ever since 1987.
1: so when you were coming up as a kid what was your you know specialty I mean what was, what were you really really good at
2: running around and getting wild whatever I was going to be playing if it was hockey or baseball basketball track, Track, I was an all-American and shot put and discus, but we all played all the sports, which I go into here in the in the book as well. It's Kids now are more defined as you're going to be a great football player. Well, I, I want to play basketball. No, you're going to be a good football player because I think you're going to you know you're going to make it there. And they're just they're put in these in these guardrails of what they're going to be. We were just told just to play and have fun, which we did. And then you know after my senior year of high school, I was I was getting scholarships and went down to the University of Northern Iowa. Once you get into college, you're not really playing other sports, so it's kind of like the cream rises rises to the top. Football became the thing, and then my junior year of college started getting pro letters and. Ended up down in Dallas.
1: So it looked like you got pretty big hands there. Where, anybody in your family an athlete or or strong or anything like that?
2: No, just my dad has some pretty good hands. I got a few of those on my rear end quite often just to straighten me out. But, yeah, I got some meat hooks, but they came in handy on the line down in the trench. Get a hold of some jersey and hang on tight.
1: And do you, do you know what your lineage is? You look maybe Scandinavian.
2: And yeah, Scandinavian, Viking, English, Irish, Scottish, Norwegian. I actually have a family tree with all the names on it from 1492. It's the most incredible family tree I have ever seen. And I'm going to probably end up diving into that once the, the book starts to kind of mellow out over the next year or something. And I've been seeing who some of these characters were. But yeah, this uh, yeah, Northern European.
1: So the strength, the strength yeah. of that obviously comes from your lineage. And one thing I talk about is your non-conscious. And the non-conscious is really kind of where scientists stop, you know, and if you understand what non-conscious is, basically, you know, predetermined traits that you have. Because I feel, too, that you have some type of, spirituality going as well that i can tell you know i don't know if i told you i was a clear i'm a clear sentient and i can feel when i talk to somebody i can feel and i can feel some energy from you do you think that spiritual side of you is what kind of kept you grounded because i definitely feel that you're you got a lot of energy around you no oh, thank you i,
2: I i'm going to take that as a real compliment i appreciate it. it's something that i've been working on got into buddhism about uh probably 15 years ago. It just attracted me. I was, I was Christian. I was leading groups and in, in within this large church and family. I grew up as a Presbyterian, and just none of it really resonated with me. And then I fell into a guy named Sadhguru, who I really enjoyed listening to I'm down there now, but he was a smart kind of fun, cool guy that motorcycles around the world and speaks at Harvard and Oxford and everything else. And so he's just kind of a real guy that I can see and feel. And But the uh, Buddhism kind of fell in place and I started meditating and I do it every morning for 15 to 20 minutes just to kind of set my intentions for the day and understand the things that I might issues I might run into. And so deal with them first while i'm sitting and then come into it more balanced and yeah it's really helped me a lot i appreciate you you saying that how, how you feel it that's uh it's something I, I always want to resonate with with everybody around me it's the calm it because i'm a big guy and i don't want to be looked at as somebody that's scary or anything else but just a, a loving heart ready to touch everybody and my Model's has always been to leave people places and things better than i found them
1: well you should dive into the scandinavian stuff i mean the norse the norse were very very powerful people and they you know they created systems for the world that You know, kind of defined a lot of things, and I think there's some ideology there that you know the Norse could have been some of the first people on the planet, and I think their their skin color changed as they went south because it's very very odd. Like like talking to you, I can sit here and I can feel like if I talk to somebody and they have a lot of energy around them, I can feel energy coming out of my hand, like my hand will start doing stuff. Yeah, because I like I've never met you before and. Something told me you're Scandinavian. You know that Viking strength. Do you ever feel anything like innately in you, like any types of energy or anything?
2: I do, I do, and I especially feel it around animals. Animals gets pretty crazy how animals will be attracted to me, and they just know that I'm safe. And but well, they'll be growling everybody else. They come over to me, wagging their tail, and just want to snuggle up and and be held and touched. I think I project that quite a bit to other people as well. Yeah, I I feel a real calmness, but again, I I can swing the other way, you know, if and when needed. But uh, trying to get away from that, that Viking berserker
1: mode and more into the peaceful, loving mode, well, I, I'm kind of saying the same way because I think it's the high sensibilities because I've had birds and stuff follow me down the street before, yeah. you know, after I have did a meditation and things like that because animals... From my research and things that I've I've looked at, you know, if I give energy to people or whatever, this other person who's, I don't know, a psychic, medium, shaman, whatever you want to call them, said, John, when you give your energy away, she said, you need to meditate and think about bringing light energy into your crown chakra, mm-hmm. right? Because if you give away that energy, you got to replenish. So mm-hmm. if you you go there and meditate and you think about the light energy coming in your crown chakra, you know, and you can literally mentally feel this energy, you know, if you think about it and think about a light coming through, whether it's Jesus or whoever is giving you this energy, you can really direct it through your body. And the first time I did that. I was walking up from where I did this meditation at, and I look to the left of me and I see 200 robin, like to the left of me. I was like, what is this? A damn bird sanctuary. And all of a sudden, this whole flock of birds comes around me. And yeah. yeah, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? I look behind me, they're not behind me, they're in front of me. There's like five of them. There's like five or six of them walking beside me down the street. They're swirling. And I walked about nine houses and then it made a dog leg. And then the tree line stopped. And when the tree line stopped, they stopped. And I didn't think anything about it. But they say when you meditate, when animals look at human beings, they see human beings as swirls. So if you slow down that swirl, right, and the more you can slow that down... And become symbiotic with nature. That's supposedly a direction to heaven on earth. Very cool, right? Because yeah. where you can, you know, if you can get there and slow those swirls down and appear that way to these animals, that's why they feel comfortable. And that's probably why they feel comfortable with you. Have you been studied anything like that or heard anything like that?
2: It's just I just know that there's energy levels and other dimensions that we just don't know of as humans and you can just see the dimensions of the the abilities of the energies that animals and birds have for each other and their surroundings they've got hummingbirds out here and they they'll, they'll get close but i've had them come and land on my hand and and drink their sugar water out of my hand and then just to about a week ago they'll fly up and they're looking and they always get eye level they're never down at chin level or shoulder or anything they get up right at eye level, and they want to feel your energy coming from your eyes. I go on a few stories with this. But this one hummingbird was flying around my face within probably six inches of my face, and I was just holding still, and he flew around, and he stuck his beak in my ear and was just sitting there. With his beak in my ear, and I wasn't moving. So he's just, he's feeling really comfortable with my energy. But then other times, I've been around, say, horses, and I'm a little scared of horses. They're just big and, you know, looking at their hoofs and looking at their their bodies. And then I look up, and you look in their eyes, and the thing just reared back because he just felt this strong energy coming from me. The same thing happened when we were traveling in, uh, in Indonesia. We were in a wild jungle, uh, a wild Anaheim monkey uh, area. and So we're getting toured through. There's about half a dozen of us. And he said, just whatever you do, don't look at them in their eyes. And this mother was holding on to a little baby monkey. This female monkey was holding on to a little baby monkey. And I just thought it was so cute. And I'm just looking at the body. I'm looking at the little baby. And then I just kind of glanced up and looked at the mother. And she, when we met, when I saw her eyes, she screamed. And you could just hear the bushes shaking as the monkeys were coming in from all directions. And the guy just told us, oh, put your head down and keep moving fast. And he walked us out of there. But they were grabbing at me. They can just feel the energy coming out of your eyes. And it's the same thing with sharks. I live on the beach here. And it's what you got to do. People swim away from a shark. You want to get vertical with them and you want to stare at them. And they can feel your energy as well. They're not going to come after. They're, gonna, they're not used to seeing something vertical in the water. They're used to seeing something swimming away, or that's when they come up behind and usually do their attack. But as soon as you—if there's a shark in the water, we're all trained to all so the surfers. You just get vertical. Get off your board and get down and get straight with them. And they'll think twice about it.
1: Now, yeah. have you ever—have you got energy coming out of your hands or anything like that?
2: No, I have not felt that, John.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
2: Because you probably—how long you been doing this? Well, just the meditation and the Buddhism and everything for— you know, I don't know, 12, 15 years or something like
1: that. Interesting.
2: I haven't dug real deep into it, but just been, been enjoying my sits. And that might be another thing to start looking into.
1: Yeah. If you got yeah. some
2: ideas going my way.
1: Well, it's, I don't know. I was the last person that I thought would have this show up in my life. And it was all of a sudden it just showed up. And it's and it's funny you you mentioned Sad guru I mean I remember years ago his narrative and the way he talked resonated with me as well you know there was some there's something too the way he delivers his message don't you <laughs> think you know what I mean oh um yeah it's it's fun it's real it's uh like just you know talking with one of your buddies so with the book i mean how do you do you translate some of this stuff in the book and and yeah. what are you trying to achieve with the book
2: the achieve was just uh, you know, more or less, for one, enjoy the read, a fun, fun summer.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com/slash-wondersuite.
2: Read for guys. It's you know women that like football too, but it's it's more than a football story. It's uh, it's uh, being aware. I remember just being a young kid. I just want to show people that that there's other ways to do things. There's, uh, I think I was pretty aware when I was a young kid, just early in my life, seeing prejudices that turned me off. When I was five years old at the country club with my father and my, my mother and father, and just seeing how the help was was treated, I just remember it just kind of hitting my heart, going, "That's really weird." And then other people would really love the help and be really kind to them, and I just think, "Wow." that's what I want to be like or getting to training camp my rookie year. And I write about this along with some of these other stories, but one of our tight ends, Doug Cosby married all the other guys. You know the older guys are married too. We would not go off a couple hours uh, before curfew. We get through with meetings at nine o'clock and get to uh El Torito restaurant out here, and there'd be a ton of girls, and it was great for these us, you know, myself and other 21, 20-year-old guys. And then it would just really turn me off to see some of these married guys with their rings on, making out with some girl, leaving the restaurant, and I'd just go, like, wow, that's kind of, that's, that's just, it's just weird, because my, my parents were married for 50 four years or something before they both passed. But I was just like, I don't want to be like that. Or I didn't want to be that prejudiced thing to treat people that way. So it's just been a process. I just kind of wanted to share that with my mentors. With treating people right, it's come back to me tenfold, if you got time. But just, just a, a quick example of that, so treating somebody nice. A shoe salesman for a brand-new startup, Turf Shoe Company, came into the Raiders locker room and... I saw just nobody was giving him the time of day and kind of treating him like crap. And I just sat there and talked with him. And he asked me if I'd put a pair of shoes on and wear them in the game. He'd give me 1500 bucks, And sure, I'll do that. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Turned out he was just a hero of this brand-new startup company and wore the shoes, and they were great and everything else. Time went on. I retired, started my company, and then the 1996 Summer Olympics came up, and my partner and I said, let's go try to see if we can land the job. Went out there and did our sales pitch against Raytheon and GE and all these monster companies in Atlanta I got back to our place in Venice here and got a call saying, hey, you got the job. I no way. How, what with GE did How did we get the job? He goes, you don't remember me, do you? My name's Mike Ariano, and he's in charge of all field equipment for the Olympics, or the 96 Summer Olympics. And he goes, you don't remember me. I was a shoe salesman, and you were the only cool guy in that locker room that was, that was nice to me. And so I wasn't really trying to get anything out of it, but I was just kind to him. Now it's your turn. And he goes, do us right and keep these olympics cool and we just excelled and you know just stories like that I've, I've got quite a few of those just uh kind of making the opportunity before it's there and there's and there's ways to do it it's you know and it's kind of simplified in the book and it's just basically being kind to people
1: uh, you just just don't
2: need to be a crazy prick like you're really seeing a lot more angst out in the world today and you know, i just see it out here just in the driving and the way people look at each other i could i could walk downtown past 50 people and that one person would look and say hello yeah you know when you say hello to them they kind of like well, i don't know you what are you saying hello to me for it's just uh, it's kind of a simple way but it's uh, it's the way i've done it and i think i've been fairly successful but more or less than anything i want everybody to enjoy a fun read inside the locker rooms, what goes on behind the locker room doors before the games the fights on the practice field that nobody sees guys getting blown up and knocked
1: out what kind of fights like some crazy
2: fights yeah i write about a great one just at uh during this during the season Howie long who i practice against every day how gave me endorsement on this along with tony dorsett and eric dickerson and marcus allen and everybody else but yeah is we were at practice one day and it was hot and we're doing the one-on-one pass blocking drill. It's just uh, you and one other guy. And everybody watches, and there's always a winner and a loser. And, and Howie and, and Bill Lewis got into a little you know, push, and then as Howie walked away, Bill told him to F off. And Howie turned around, and I was just getting to know Howie at the time. This is my first year there in 87. Howie just kind of figuratively left the building and asked him what he said. And as he walked over to him, Bill said it again and got the F out and didn't even get a chance to say off. Out. And he caught an uppercut that blew him up, that his helmet was going away, his mouth guard was going another way, and his front teeth were sticking through his lip, and he was out cold. And it's just the the public never sees these kind of things. And so he went in, got his, got his lip all sewed up, and he was back on the field in about 15 minutes, and they were friends. It's just the the swinging of the pendulum of anger and how to manage it. How oh, we got in a lot of trouble too from Al Davis for ruining his product, hurting, mm-hmm. imaging his product. But just a lot of uh, behind the scenes stories, crazy stuff in the locker room that would just drop in your
1: jaw. Well, when you think about that, and you think think about it, talking about your sensibilities, mm-hmm. and you're talking about keeping yourself calm. And I, I'm the same way too. Is like uh, it's almost like prickly, you know. I think if you have those high sensibilities, and it's almost like you're prickly, and you can turn on a dime very, very quick, you know, because that feeling—you can feel things very, very quick. Is that what you experience when you said you could go the other way?
2: Yeah, it is. And then you know, into the mellower things of I. This is my second marriage. My wife's second marriage married now for 10 years we live in a small place here on the beach and we have really never raised our voices to each other not that my first wife and i did but it was i was learning and you know i bark back at something when she's telling me something that's really bothering her about me and so i bark back you know and not listening just you know wanting to be heard, and you know it was it, it took that life lesson of those 10 years of being married to figure it out like, keep your big mouth shut. You know, I love this woman, listen to what she's got to say. And so, if my wife, Lizzie, who wrote the book with me, has got an issue and she's coming at me and, you know, upset about something, just keep your mouth shut and listen because I love mm-hmm. her and I do care what she thinks and what she's got to say. So I'm going to listen to her. And I'm always happy that I did because I don't have to go back and apologize for barking in and interrupting her. And I've heard what she's had to say, and she always comes back to me a half hour later or something and says, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to be told that too many times. Like, hey, that's the right way to go about
1: it. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: So it's, you know, it's just we learn every day. And that's, that, that was huge for me.
1: And when you're coming out of the NFL – and you think about, hey, what I do now, you know, how is that transition? I was really fortunate.
2: I've always looked at everything with open eyes to cool possibilities, again, staying very present, but. I was in Palm Springs in 1989 or something like 1990, and mist was blowing above the restaurant, keeping the patrons cool. I was getting ready to go to training camp, and then we were going to be playing in the Coliseum in August, and it's uh, just, there's not a breath of air moving in there. I thought, what a great place to have it. Talked to the manager, showed me how to do it. I talked to Art Sheldon to let me try it before a game, and I, I write all about it in my book, but I called my company Cloudburst and he said he was going to tear it down if it, it pisses anybody off. And I, I said, I'd help you. It turned out everybody was flipping. It was the first missed cooling system in the NFL. And then it turned out a couple of guys in the stands were from Hollywood Park that I you know, a thousand horses out here in LA in this Hollywood Park. They had me come over and we ended up doing. Ton of barns over there. And it turned into just a killer business. So when the team was moving to Oakland, I incorporated my company called the Cloudburst and started developing better systems and then landed the 96 Summer Olympics. And so that was all high pressure. Then I got a bunch of low pressure pieces, like I think I had something like 40 SKUs. The extension kits, and you screw them into your valve outside the, the hose outlet and then tack it up along the, the patio and put down the mist. It had 40 SKUs in over 1,500 stores, Home Depots and Targets and Lowe's. And so I, I never really had a chance to kind of get out of it. Kind of, what am I going to do now? I've told every athlete that I play golf with and things afterwards, look for those opportunities while you're playing, while you're at the top of your, your game you you're, I've been invited to 100 um, celebrity golf tournaments. I'm the celebrity, and I'm in there with three other guys. And usually the three other guys were CEOs of a bank or CEO of this or a president of that. Make those, con- make, make those contacts now. Get their business cards. Send them an 8 by 10 How much pleasure it was playing with you guys. I hope our paths cross again. And I guarantee you, I could have called them 10 years later and said, Hey, this is Steve Wright. I'm doing football, and I'm looking for a job. You know, it's got anything open, I guarantee you, they'd say, hell yes, you were a cool cat, you, you know, loved playing you, loved your attitude, come in and let's take a look. But take advantage of those opportunities now so you don't have to just, oh, what am I going to do now? And then a lot of guys, I don't know, I just think, you know, you've got, especially the guys now, they've got so much money, you don't really need to go out and do a whole lot of set of
1: foundations. Do a lot of giving back,
2: but you know, get your money with a with a portfolio manager, which I was fortunate enough to do, and I've got stories about that in there as well.
1: Now, does the NFL is there any type of pension or anything you still receive from the NFL?
2: Sure, yeah, I'm receiving it now, and uh, yeah, the, the benefits are are getting better, but yes, yeah, so they're taking care of us, but it would certainly be nice to see it better. Unfortunately. <laughs> I, I'm not one of those guys that, that really needs it. Because again, I, I ended up getting, I found a portfolio manager, a wealth management company that's really done right by me. Because I'm not a money guy. I'm a football player, I'm an athlete, I'm a entrepreneur, so on and so forth. So find someone that does that and do that for you.
1: Nice. Well, yeah, you hear so many different stories and, you know, hear a lot of guys going broke and, and things like that. There should be some some better practices because i knew this lawyer in new york city who rep- represented a lot of athletes and he said that probably 90 percent of his you know clients went broke
2: it's crazy and it's just, you know I, I hate the pressure of, of the social media now You just everybody tried to one-up each other and yeah i back in my playing days i knew a wide receiver for the cardinals and- that lived in an apartment, the one-bedroom apartment he was just renting, and he had six cars out front, you know, Lamborghini, Rolls, and everything. It's like, come on. Yeah. I think the NFL, and I, which I don't know, but I think the NFL is kind of trying to guide these guys. there, There's more resources for them to tap into on financial managers or guidance in business, uh, how to really feel out if a business is real or not. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's crazy because then it kind of puts a cloud over everybody else, you know with guys going broke. Fortunately, I've never done that, but also, too, I'm a minimalist. I could sh- show you in here. I've just, I just, I don't try to compete with anybody. My car is actually I drive a Beam, Beamer 328i. It's a 2000 14, I think. I don't need to be doing anything. I only drive five, maybe 5,000 miles a year just around town here. Yeah. But just don't, just get rid of stuff. I, I never tried to compete and get a better watch than somebody or, you know, what do you think, my new car? Yeah. But it was a lot of competition. It's just, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's, and you know, I was fortunate to be, I have a loving upbringing. I don't know. A these guys just, they're competing against one another and they got to be full of flash. And that's kind of what I see the NFL as now. It bums me out to, to watch it. If you want to find a book... Yeah, you can come to my website, writeauthor.com. W-R-I-G-H-T, rightauthor.com, and I've got all my blogs that I've been putting up every Sunday, plus a ton of pictures, Bo Jackson and Maui and everybody else. Or it's on Amazon right now. I recorded the Audible. That will be up as well. So I'll have the ebook and the hard and soft cover, but I can also uh, love to sign any of these and send them to anybody. If they uh, go to the website and put in a request for
1: it, I'd get back to them right away. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I got to ask you, since you mentioned Bo Jackson, because I went and watched Bo Jackson play baseball for a minor league team, you know, that one run he had, they always highlight on the football field. I mean, how fast was Bo Jackson? From my understanding, I think he
2: was the fastest ever in the
1: 40-yard dash.
2: Truly humble man. I was out there blocking for pretty much every one of his runs. Anytime you see Bo run up into the tunnel in Seattle, I'm kind of right behind him, close by. But his power and strength was, was absolutely bizarre. And I got some great stories in there from that as well. We were playing, we had, he had been having a couple of lo- really long runs leading up to a Denver game and we all just started giving him a hard time like would you quit running away from everybody and run somebody over and so the very next game it was third down he cut he ran up the middle and the only person standing there was Mike Harden who was tough as nails for the Broncos got ready for him to juke or something but I've never seen hit and run like Bo put his head down and ran him over like he wasn't standing there. strong and fast and did not lift weights at all. And I got to wow. a story about that as well.
1: Wow. Well, you look pretty good yourself. What kind of diet did mama's got you eating over there in Venice beach? Uh, well, we're, I've been on a plant-based for,
2: but I now just started, I've been on a plant-based for probably five years. And I just started putting fish and turkey and chicken, just not eating red meat. I live on protein shakes. I, I say in there, I kind of talk about my diet. I was changed through the years. Back when I was a young guy playing, I ate a few pastures of cows, anything with protein in it. And then uh, just got more into the plant-based. And I went from my playing weight about 290. I'm about 230 right now. I'm feeling great. When wow. We worked out. I was in the pool this morning. We just put a Velcro belt on and tie it to the ladder leading into the pool and swim like a beast in there for a while. And I was at the gym. So just get up and move the body eat. We, we're in bed at seven thirty eight o'clock. We're up at 4.30. Don't drink. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a clean lifestyle that both my wife and I are on the same page for. We, nice.
1: Yeah. Nice. Well, maybe I think if you keep digging into the Scandinavian and Norse, looking up the Norse gods and all that kind of stuff, I think more stuff might resonate with you that you maybe it. haven't tapped into yet. Just kind of is what I sense. And if you want to listen, if you want to read, get a good read and hear an interesting story, uh, get the book Aggressively Human by Steve Wright. I think it's, uh, yeah, very, very interesting because, you know, you think about, like you said, getting amped up and now you're this, you know, calm and doing meditation and all these things, you know, I think people can can learn a lot from that, you know, because I think sometimes those sensibilities will take us down the wrong road and we don't know what it is. And things could be misdiagnosed or, or whatever it is. So I think we've got to, the better we understand ourselves and things like that, I think the better lives we live. I mean, do you feel like, and this is the last question I ask, I just just came to me. Do you feel like you found yourself and gave more value to yourself now in life than you maybe did earlier? Yeah, I would think so. You know, it's. I think that comes with maturity. I'd Love to be as mature
2: now as I as I am now. At, back at 21, but I probably wouldn't have as as juicy of a, a book then that I've got now. But yeah, it's just it's a growth process. It, I'm definitely a lot calmer and introspective and wiser and open heart. Yeah, just want to see the best for everybody. Want to. Light up everybody with a smile and a hello, and just being kind. And yeah, that's that's all. It's all developed, but you know, I think the roots were there. Again, I was fortunate to, you know, come from a good, loving family that you know a lot of folks don't come from. So I had a little one up. So anything I can do to help lift somebody or do something else, uh, we've got a nonprofit called Global Giving. B A L L not global. Global Giving, where we collect these sports equipment, surfboards, tennis rackets, baseballs, everything else. And we're in probably 35 countries. That's globalgiving.org. Probably serve probably a million kids by now with our friend Mark Rollison up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the, the headquarters for all this. So we're, we're trying to, we, we did that. My wife and I traveled around the world about three years ago, right before the pandemic. Took nine months to travel around the world. I met the Peace Corps. Down in Tonga and all the other islands down there, I can't think which was, but just down throughout the South Pacific, handing out equipment and yeah, so nice. That's your your question, but yeah, it's a growth process.
1: Nice. Well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on the show, and hopefully, everybody can learn something from this conversation. That's what I try to do. I try to teach people things about life and and give people different perspectives about life. So appreciate you coming on the show. This is Steve Wright, and my name is John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Thank you. Thank you.